0: What's up guys, Pastor John here. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey and we believe that God has an incredible plan for your life and our hope is that tools like this sermon will help you become who he has created you to be. Now listen, in order to truly flourish and thrive like God intends for your life, it takes community. What I mean by that is we don't believe that simply by attending church online alone that you're going to be able to become every bit of who God has created you to be and who you want to be to grow spiritually, you need other people. And we would love to help you connect with other people right here at Greenhouse. True growth happens when we're rooted in a community that supports, uplifts and walks alongside us. And so with that in mind, we would love for you to join us in person on Sundays, right here at Western High School or in micro churches throughout the week. Um, Listen, if you don't live near our church here in South Florida, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find and thrive in a local faith community near you. We're excited to partner with you as we all become passionate followers of Jesus. God bless you. I will let you know that I feel this morning uh, is is a special morning, and is going to be a special morning. Uh, Myself and Pastor Mike, who's a lead pastor of the Greenhouse Church in Gainesville, we do sermon planning, and we typically have three, four, five months, sometimes more, planned out. We take time of prayer and fasting in advance, and then we obviously can be kind of flexible as the Spirit leads any given week. And uh, this week, for about the last week and a half, I felt like God put something on my heart that was sort of off the script, but I think on His heart for us. And if you'll allow me, I I would love to share that with you this morning. Does that sound good? Okay, phew, because that's all that I have on my notes right here. Uh, I'm excited to to share this. I feel like it was a download of sorts. Sometimes I'm I'm spending time in in sermon prep, and and you're you're going in there, and sometimes it just feels like the sermon's there, and it just kind of appears. I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? God, I hope. And. um, And and I hope this is something that can propel us into our season of prayer and fasting. We're kicking it off this Wednesday. It's going to run all the way until next Friday, where we'll culminate in a night of worship and prayer right here at Western, which I hope that you join us for. But I've got one thought. It's comprised of two words, and I'd love for you to turn to a neighbor and say this. Tell them, make room. Make room, hey Mina, good to see you. Make room, now you don't have to literally move your seats, but I want us thinking about what we've already sang about, hey Jason, what we've already sang about, I want us to make room. So if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter four, and I can't even talk about the Miami Dolphin because it hurts too bad. I don't know why you're clapping. I just, I forgive all of you in advance didn't wanna look at who was clapping. Okay, verse 29, this is God speaking to Moses. Now context matters, right? God is speaking to Moses and he's like, hey listen, I know that I just delivered y'all from slavery in Egypt and you would think that for the rest of your lives you're gonna love me and be so grateful. But you're not because you're humans. You're going to blow it. You're going to rebel. You're going to turn away. You're going to forget. You're going to get spiritual amnesia. All this is going to happen, and it's going to go horribly for you when you do that because we do not thrive outside of a life-giving, vibrant relationship with God. Amen one of y'all that believes that. Okay. He says, but God already knows, and he's so humble and so loving that he has a contingency plan for your failure before you even fail. Verse 29, but if from there, the there is is failure, is drifting, is forgetting, is flat out rebellion. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, why don't you read it with me? You will, this is a promise. But if from there, whatever the there looks like, and we're so tempted to think the there is bigger than God. Oh man, if he only knew what I did, he died. does. But if from there, whatever you're there is, I don't care what you're there. Ooh, that rhymes. Come on. But if from there you will seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of your word. We seek you this morning. Trusting that you very much want to be found. Meet us, please. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five, give him a fist bump, give him a hug or a kiss if you're married to him. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this should not come as a surprise to many of us. There are some things in life that you will most likely never get to experience. There's just some things that you'll just never get to experience. I remember growing up, my uh, my friends and I came to this harsh reality. Uh, we were middle school hoopsters with dreams of the NBA. Now I, I know you're, you're very kind and gracious, but I am not exactly the bastion of physical prowess and it, uh, it it became apparent to me that it was probably not in the cards, but I had a friend named Dustin and Dustin was a believer. Dustin was like, no, 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 he loved basketball. He, eat, breathe, sleep, basketball. He loved to play basketball. Dustin was like, I'm gonna make it to the NBA. The problem is that Dustin was not good at basketball. In fact, Dustin was one of the worst. at. Ba- Dustin was not good enough at basketball to make the middle school basketball team, but, and, and Dustin did not like to work, and so Dustin had to come to the harsh reality that while he would long for and dream for, and I know in our mentality, we're like, man, you can do anything. Dustin could not make the NBA. There's just some things in life you're not going to get to experience. If you are of my stature, you probably will not make the NBA unless you're Mugsy Bogues. And how did that even happen? Right? And, and if you're a Dolphins fan, you won't experience a playoff victory, apparently. Like, there's just some things in life. Is it too soon? <laughs> Ow, it hurts. There's just some things in life you're just not going to get to experience. Now, thankfully... Experiencing and knowing God is not one of those things. Thankfully, that experience is a promise. God promised us his presence. God promised us his nearness. God promised us that if we seek him, we would find him. We read it in Deuteronomy 429. If we seek him, we will find him. If we search with all our heart and with all our soul, and it's not just God speaking to Moses, this is a promise throughout the trajectory of scripture. God says the same thing to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, the the famous verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, but it continues. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And what does it say? And I will listen to you. You will seek me, here it is again, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is not just some one-off promise from God, this is his heart expressed over and over and over again in the scriptures. This is amazing. This is inspiring. This is hope stirring. And yet, if God promised to be found, then why does he so often feel so incredibly unfindable? Anybody? I I know we're in church and you're like, can I say that? Yes, you can be honest. Yes, you can. Why does it so often feel like God, well, quite frankly, is, is distant, is, is aloof, doesn't, I, I don't know where he went, and, and God said he could be found, but I feel like he's playing hide and seek and he's really good at it. Like, where is he? You feel that tension? You ever been in that spot? Maybe you're in that spot right now. Why is that? I have a hunch. I have a suspicion and this is it if you were to ask someone and and we could even try it now but I'm not going to but if you were to ask someone hey how are you doing we have sort of two default responses in our culture and in our world that we sort of gravitate to if you ask someone how are you doing what's the first response that you're most likely to hear fine good which really means nothing like it means, I don't know, I haven't thought about it, I don't like you, I haven't cared to really consider it. Like good, fine, basically means like, let's move on with the perfunctory platitudes and move into what you actually wanna say. Like good means nothing. But there's one more that, that will run. And if you see someone and they're like, Ugh, they look a little bit, how are you doing? And there's one more and it's this, hey man, how are you doing? Man, busy. How are you, let's all show of hands, like group therapy, how many of you have answered that this week? Sometimes we pair the two, man, how you doing bro? I'm doing good, just busy, right? We mix the two, which means like nothing and nothing. Like like everybody's busy. Like if you've been busy this week, raise your hand. Everybody, right? We're all just busy. How are you doing? We answer with nothing. I'm nothing and nothing. I'm good, just busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. Everyone is busy. We're all so busy. We have, like, AI and, like, robots that are smarter than most of us. And somehow we're still busy. It's unrelenting. I was deeply impacted this week by a book that I think would be a fantastic read, skim, because we're busy, over this fast. It's called The Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's not a new book. Some of you have maybe read it before, but it struck me in a new way this week. I want to read you an excerpt. Corey Ten Boom, who many of you remember is the author of The Hiding Place. Cory Ten Boom said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. He says there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. The famous psychologist Carl Jung had this little saying, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. We hear the refrain, I'm great, just busy, so often that we assume pathological busyness is okay. After all, everybody else is busy, too. But what if busyness isn't healthy? What if it's an airborne contagion wreaking havoc on our collective soul? As John Ortberg has said, and I have this quote, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce the faith, It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it, that we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I want us to just pause for a moment. That hit me like a ton of bricks this week, because you know who's the, man, I'm good, just busy guy? Often it's me. I say that. I do that. And I read this quote, and it just stopped me in my tracks. And I don't know if it resonates with you the way it resonated with me, but I feel that tension. And this is where we're at. By the way, it's not just authors from centuries ago or decades ago, spiritual writers who are espousing the dangers. What's happening in our modern cultural moment is we have practitioners from various disciplines that are realizing the same danger and are articulating in various ways that our current modern life speed and trajectory is dangerously out of control. Psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about an epidemic of the modern world, which they are calling, quote, hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. They actually label it as a disease. Hurry sickness. Here's one definition. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Meyer Friedman, who was a cardiologist who originally coined the phrase hurry sickness, coined it after noticing, listen to this, after noticing that most of his at-risk cardiovascular patients displayed a harrying sense of time urgency. He's like, what's the commonality of all of these heart attack risk victims? He's like, oh, they're rushed, anxious, and busy. It's hurry sickness. Here's how he defined it, a continuous struggle, an unrelenting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more things in less and less time. Anybody find themselves in that definition? How you doing, man? I'm good. Just busy. Busy just busy, man. How's stuff going? Man, it's just, you know how it is, just busy. What's happening in life? Man, it's just busy. It is the operating descriptor for our modern world. Busy. It's the norm. We almost take it for granted. But what if our busyness is against us? Because it is. Because it is. Now, here's how it connects spiritually. I am convinced that one of, if not the principal keys to our struggle when it comes to our relationship with God and sensing his nearness and the closeness and the findability that he promised. It's not a word. It's okay. Just track with me. I'm convinced that one of the keys to our confusion and our struggle in this arena is actually not our sin. It is our busyness. Here's why. God has made provision for our sin, right? Right? That whole, you know, the, the cross thing, right? Like the, 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 it is finished, Jesus dying on the cross thing. Like our sin has already been dealt with, but your busyness is a choice and a truth can be a truth, but if it is not internalized and acted on, it is not impactful to the degree that you do not allow it to be. I'm convinced that one of the keys that is against us in our moment is not our sin, although that obviously is where it starts. It's our, it's our business. It, it keeps us from experiencing the God who promised his nearness. It, it, it keeps us from experiencing his findability. It keeps us from the peace and the flourishing that he, that he promised. Here's my core thought. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. A vibrant relationship with God is essential to your thriving. How many of you believe that? A vibrant relationship with God is essential to your thriving, and here's the great news, and he is readily available to those who make room. A vibrant relationship with God, it is essential to your thriving, only way you're gonna make it over the long haul in a healthy, thriving way, emotionally and spiritually. And he is readily available, God is, to those who make room. Here's my call, here's my challenge, here's my encouragement this morning, make room. Everybody turn to a neighbor again and just tell them one more time, make room. You're like, great, awesome, yes, I feel you, yes, how? Like, where do I even begin? It feels impossible. My, I don't know if I could slow down this train even if I wanted to. Thankfully, someone who loves you so, so much already came up with very specific, pragmatic answers to that question of how. And it's not me. His name is God. And I'm going to plagiarize his thoughts from the Bible, and I am going to toss out two rhythms that I dare you to incorporate over this fast and beyond. I'm going to toss out two biblical rhythms that I dare you. For the next 30 days, it takes about 30 days to develop a habit. It takes about 90 days to see whether the habit is beneficial and or life-changing. I dare you for the next 30 days, get it in there. 90 days, give it a shot to see what happens and see if God doesn't change your life and liberate you from the rat race of busyness. Now, here's the irony. The things that are required to make room breathing room for God, for for rest, for soul flourishing, actually take quite a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline. It takes work to rest. Anybody experienced that before? You're like, man, resting is a hard, it's hard work, but it's possible. All right, so two tangible rhythms to flourish. This is going to be a heavy on application sermon this morning. Basically, the whole rest of the sermon is application. Point number one is this. I want us to consider to give ourselves to making room daily. Everybody say daily. Cada dia, every single day. Make room daily. Here's what that can look like. John 15, Jesus said this. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, what does it say? Nothing. That's important. Apart from me, you can't do nothing. Jesus says, abide. Other versions say, remain in me. Abide in me. Like, stay in this state of consistent dwelling in me. Now, you might say, well, what exactly does that mean, abiding? It seems so theoretical and esoterical. How would I even know? Well, thankfully, Jesus, as the master communicator, goes on to articulate what he means. In verse 7, he continues in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my... Words abide in you. Then you'll ask what you wish, it will be done. My Father is glorified and you'll bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus tethered and directly connected abiding in him to his word. In fact, in Psalm 119, David puts it like this. He says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of you would be willing to say that life is difficult and confusing sometimes? So would God. In fact, David says, hey, by the way, if you've ever felt like, man, I I, I mean it, I have genuine intention, I really wanna do right, I'm trying to do good, but sometimes it feels like I'm stumbling around in the darkness. David says, exactly, and great news. God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path which means if you find yourself living life where you're tripping over every obstacle, metaphorically and maybe literally, but choosing to abstain from daily time in God's word, you are choosing to stumble in the darkness every single day. God says, don't do that. I love you. I, I, I don't want you to have spiritually and emotionally stubbed toes that you're living life with perpetually like you live life with turf toe. Like Get, get God's word and let it be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Now this is God, and you might say, "Man, well that's all well and good, but like, how is this ancient booklet from on high supposed to help me in the modern person with real modern challenges?" Like John, I, I get it, but like, maybe you're here and you're exploring and you're you're investigating God, faith, or spirituality, or maybe you're new to Jesus and you're like, "Man, the Bible sometimes just seems so challenging for me to figure out," and so I've just kind of said, I'll, "I'll do some stuff, but I don't really know." What we're actually finding is that empirically, this is true. God's word is always true. Science is finally starting to catch up with God's word. Barna did a research study. They're a famous research group, and this was not a small study. We had someone come and share with our leaders, and I was like, this is exactly what I'm preaching about. This is great. I'm going to steal your content, too. This is awesome. There's a book called The Power of Habit. Anybody read that book? Charles Duhigg is talking about the power. Okay, so a few of you guys. In the book, Charles Duhigg talks about what he calls keystone habits, these are key habits that if you do these things, all of these other good things happen. I, I would propose to you, and research backs this up, that Bible reading, if you're like, I want to thrive in my relationship with God. How many of you just show hands are like, I want to thrive in my relationship with God. I will propose to you that Bible reading is a, if not the, keystone habit if you want to do that. If you are not reading your Bible daily, if you are not making room for God daily, you are missing out on life in a world of darkness. Now here's what the research showed. This was not a small study. This is not like, hey man, I pulled, I I went ahead and pulled mom, dad, and grandma and her two best friends, and here's what we found. This is a research study, exceptionally robust, 400,000 people across cultures and continents. Here's what they found that those who read their Bible, and it's not just in some general way, people who read their Bible four times per week or more exponentially flourish in every major category of human flourishing, four times or more. So some of you are like, man, I'll read your Bible every day. You're like, ah, oh, what if I mess up? That's fine, can you do it four times? That was a sweet spot in the study, four times. Here, here are the things that they found. People who read their Bible four times or more per week exponentially flourish emotionally, spiritually, in the way that they engage with and disciple other people, in their relationships. They have healthy marriages. All of these incredible things happen when people spend time in God's word because his word is light. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. If you're here right now, and I love this church family because we mean it, you're like, I want to be a a passionate follower of Jesus. If you want to be a passionate follower of Jesus and make it in the long haul, you have to make room for him and his word every single day. You've got to do it. You're like, okay, well, where would I even start? What would I read? We got you. Up on the screen, you'll see a link. By the way, this is a perfect time to start this when we're about to go into a season of prayer and fasting. This is a link to a reading plan that we put together. It'll get you through the entire Bible in 18 months, reading a chapter or two a day. That's making room about 10 to 15 minutes each day to spend time in God's word. We can do that, right? We can do that. It's got awesome videos throughout, done by the Bible Project that help break things down. So if you've ever read before and you're like, man, sometimes the Bible just feels so confusing. These videos will help you in your understanding. We created it, by the way, to be read in community. So if you've got a question about something, we do this with some guys in our microchurch. If you've got a question about something, at the end of the reading, you could post a question. Other people can respond. You're able to do, it's worship and community all built into the same package there. Try it out. Try it this month. Give it this sort of 30-day develop a new habit challenge and then give it 90 days to see whether the habit is fruitful, life-changing, or not. It is. I'm praying that we would make room for him daily, every single day. It's our daily bread. It's how we flourish and thrive. The problem is that often our busyness, and and really as modern peoples as Americans or North Americans or Guyanese, our our sort of can-do attitude that serves us in other arenas when it comes to problem solving or challenges we might encounter. When it comes to this arena, it gets us into trouble because we humans, you and I, we have a tendency to attempt to flourish and thrive apart from Jesus. Right? We've all been there in our lives in a big way before we met Jesus, and we continue there when we try to do things in our own power and ability. And here's what I need to remind you about this morning. You can't do it. Like, that's a pep talk, Pastor. Thank you so much for that encouraging word. Like, but I need to remind you, it's, it's true, you can't do it. You can't. Jesus said it. He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, we like Philippians 4.13 because I can do all things through Christ to strength. It doesn't say I can do all things, although that's how we functionally live oftentimes, I and you and us. It says I can do all things through Christ. So I was reading this week, it's Martin Luther King weekend, and, and I like to take time during this season to reflect back, to be inspired, to glean. I love how AJ said it, to even be inspired by a life of service, how God used a, a man, an ordinary man, an incredible man, And and I came across an article, It's called MLK and the Power of Prayer from the Huffington Post, one of the uh, less likely source, and they were talking about, man, one of the things we need to talk about with Martin Luther King Jr. is how prayer influenced the impact of the civil rights movement. I was like, really? Let's hear about this. This is what it said. On January 27th, 1956, just eight weeks after the start of the boycott, boycott, this is the Montgomery bus boycott, King hit what he calls a saturation point when he received a particularly disturbing death threat. He couldn't sleep. He got up to make a pot of coffee, began to think of ways he could get out of leading the movement without seeming like a coward. He sat there, quote, I sat there and thought about a beautiful little daughter who had just been born. I'd come in night after night and see that little gentle smile. I started thinking about a dedicated and loyal wife who was over there asleep, and I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. And this is when King turned to God in prayer. At midnight, he sat in front of his untouched cup of coffee and began to pray out loud, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. And now I'm afraid, and I can't let people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. But I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. The article continues. Shortly after, King said he experienced the divine like he had never experienced him before. He heard an inner voice assure him, King, stand up for justice. He knew God was with him. And would be with him until the end. Coretta King wrote in standing in the need of prayer. When Martin stood up from the table that night. He was imbued with a sense of confidence. And he was ready to face anything. Louis Baldwin, a professor at Vanderbilt University. Said that prayer was King's secret weapon. In the civil rights movement. It's the power of prayer. It's the power of making room for God every single day. A vibrant relationship with God is essential to your thriving. And he is readily available to those who make when we live lives apart from this daily abiding, apart from this daily strengthening, this daily direction, time with God in prayer and in his word, we are functionally saying, God, I've got this on my own. And yet so many of us know we definitely don't got this on our own, right? Amen? Anybody like, yes, I know I do not got this on my own. I'm a very different John when I connect with God in the morning than when I do not. And you are too. Make room daily. And number two, make room weekly. I'm going to have to fly through this one. Make room weekly. Here's what I mean by this. This is the biblical principle of the Sabbath, of the Sabbath. How many of you have heard of the Sabbath before? All right. It, there are nine commandments that God gave his people. I'm just kidding. There's 10. We just live like there's nine, but there's, there's 10 commandments. And one of them is Sabbath. Now here's the origin of the Sabbath. Uh, God's people are oppressed. They're living in slavery in Egypt and they're under this Pharaoh and this Pharaoh, how when you're a slave in Egypt, how many days off you get? Zero, nada, none. You're working every single day, and so this God comes along that's more powerful than Pharaoh, and the expectation of the Israelites, of the Jewish people would have been, man, if Pharaoh is so powerful and hardcore that he gives us no days off, I wonder what the yoke, if that's the yoke of Pharaoh, and this God is more powerful than Pharaoh, I wonder what his yoke is gonna be. And they're thinking intense and hardcore, and then God comes in and hears his yoke. Hey. Now that I've rescued you, here's my commandment. Every six days, take a day off. They, would have, they were stunned. Like, wait, what? A day off? Every six days we get a day off? That's amazing. That's incredible. Sabbath was a gift. For every six days of work, God says you have you need one day of no work. Every six days of work, you need one day of no work. In fact, it was so serious, the commandment was Sabbath or die. That was a commandment in the, in, in the Ten Commandments. Like, if you don't Sabbath, you're dead. Like, you're going to get stoned and not like in the, you know, living green way. Get asked that all the time. Like, we are not a medical marijuana dispensary, but just come check us out. Just come and you know, see. Ain't no high like the most high. Um, so, anyway, not the point. Not the point. I distracted myself. Now, here's what's interesting obviously we are not going around and people are not dying because of their lack of obedience to the sabbath because then we wouldn't really have any christians around anymore Um, but what is happening ironically is that we are doing exactly that like i wonder if the sabbath or die principle was not simply prescriptive of what would happen but descriptive of what does remember hurry sickness remember the anxiety epidemic I would argue it's Sabbath or die. It's just not physical anymore. It's what is happening to us emotionally. God says for every six days of work, you need a day of rest. Now, this is where shoop, we go off in two offshoots. And if we're not careful, I want to be very intentionally delicate in this matter when we talk about making room weekly, i.e. the Sabbath or Shabbat, as it would have been called in the Hebrew framework. If we go in one direction, we go in the direction of the Pharisees. We get legalistic. We get judgmental. We start judging other people based off of what they do or don't do. We start making it all about the rules and the precepts. And this is not what God intended. In fact, this is what Jesus encountered with the Pharisees. Here's the direction I want us to go, the Jesus direction. Jesus came in and he said, hey, I I get what you're doing with the Sabbath, but you've made it this drudgery and the Sabbath was not made. Man was not made for the Sabbath, Jesus said. The Sabbath was made as a gift for man. He said, you've taken something that God has made to be a gift and you've made it another Pharaoh, a taskmaster. Stop it. You got it all wrong. He said, this is a gift that you need. God says, take it up with him. You need a day every six days where you do not do any work. By the way, that's about as clear. There's a few small parameters, like don't make a fire, which, you know, in modernity, we're not really doing that these days. There's a few parameters, but for the most part, here's the command of Sabbath Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, set apart, distinguished. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Or anybody in your household, or any of your. Basically. No, no one does any work on the Sabbath. Here is what I have come to find. In the Lash family, we do our Sabbath, we we do ours, we're, we're Friday night to Saturday night. Paul goes on later and he says, hey listen, don't obsess about the day and when it is. Like some people consider this day, some people consider another day. The principle here is every six days of work, you need a day of no work. Here's what it looks like in our household, and I would love for you to try this in yours. Every six days, Things begin, it, it, it's a, it takes work to rest, and so Fridays we're going and getting stuff done, and about Friday afternoon, early evening, things begin to shut down. Here's my working definition for Sabbath. It is a day for us to relax, refresh, remember, and rejoice. All ours. it's good alliteration. Relax, refresh, remember, and rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, by the way. That's the, one of the core things that would be done on Sabbath is like this, they would, the people of God would gather together in worship, in corporate worship, in times of prayer. Relax, yeah. refresh, remember, and rejoice. Here's what it looks like on a weekly basis for the Lash family. We're going gonna to sleep a little bit later, as late as our kids will let us, because they wake up at 6.40 like they got an alarm clock on the inside. <sighs> Bless God. This too shall pass. But we sleep later if we can. And, and then we kind of try to limit our, we typically don't have, we have very few of any plans on our Sabbath. We're just, we just kind of, we're meandering through life. We're gonna take some additional time with God on that day. And so I, I'm gonna take some time in the Bible. Nancy's gonna take some time in the Bible. We encourage the kids to, hey, go do a little Bible reading. And then if they do it, we incentivize it with getting to watch a Bible show. You know, they get to watch Superbook. So we're, we're just trying to have some additional time carved out, some space carved out for God. We're going to hang out, we're going to swim, we're going to chill, we're going to barbecue out back, we're going we're gonna to have fun together as a family. It's a day to remember and, and rejoice and rejuvenate and reflect and be grateful for God and everything that he's given. It's a day to breathe. I, I try to take my electronic leash and, and get rid of it and forget about it for a day. That's my cell phone. All sorts of research about how cell phones literally make us empirically dumber. It's crazy. I'm like, oh my goodness. So, A day each week where I try to stay off of social media, I try to stay away from my phone just because I want to be able to breathe. Now, I will tell you that if I miss a Sabbath, we have stuff that comes up here and there on our Sabbath, and if I miss one, I'm fine. Just like if you miss a day of making room daily, like, you'll be all right, but if I start missing a few, I feel it in my soul. I I get soul tired. It's like those of y'all crazy people that live life with your cell phone at 30% at the beginning of the day, like, I don't know how you do it. You're like, I feel attacked right now. It's okay. We love you. Charge your phone. Um... But it's like you're beginning the week already behind. You feel that before? You're like, man, it's Monday, and I already feel like it's Thursday, and I need Friday to come tomorrow, but it's Monday. Like, God knows your frame. He's given you a day. It's called Sabbath. It's a way that we say to God, God, I trust you. I I can't imagine how everything would get done in six days because I barely get it done. I don't get it done in seven days. It's an act of faith, just like tithing. You give it first. You've got to trust you. Whatever day can be for you, we've all got different schedules. If it's Monday, a lot of us, it's Sunday. It's already a day of worship. Whatever the day is for you, you need a day. Says who? Says God. Says God. John, I just can't. Take it up with him and, by the way, all of the social science that says we are killing ourselves. We need something. I think God knows what we need. A vibrant relationship with God is essential to your thriving, and he is readily available for those who make room. God's speaking all the time. What if the answer to your conundrum was right at the other end of an intentional pause? Because it is make room. I, I'm praying that we would be a church family, a church community that makes room. This week, as we enter into this time of prayer and fasting, this would be a great moment to check in with God. Ask him, God, how's, how's our relationship going? Where's it thriving? Maybe time in the word has been awesome. Maybe time in prayer has been lacking. Maybe community is going great in your microchurch. Maybe mission hasn't happened in a little while or a long while. Where is your relationship with God thriving? Where's it withering? Are you pursuing and being faithful with the things he's called you to, the impact that he's created you to make? Do you know what he's called you to? Because a vibrant relationship with God is essential to your thriving and it is readily available to those who make room. Sometimes it feels like God is playing hide and seek. And if that is the case, here is the message of scripture. If he is hiding, here's how he's hiding. Just like that. Like, God is so findable. He is so findable. Like, this is, God, where are you? He's like, I'm hiding. <laughs> i like, okay, see? I got a baby to laugh. That's awesome. <laughs> it's my best preaching moment in my life. God is readily available. I'm telling you, he is. He's telling you, he is. But we've got to make room. I'm going to close with this story, and I want us to close out in the time of worship. It was... A couple weeks ago, maybe, and I got awoken, not by the Lord, by my little baby girl, Lucia. And I wake up, and it's 5 a.m., and this little face is right in front of me. <laughs> hey, Dada. Hi, Lucy. Are you going to work today? Yes. Okay. Go to bed. Okay. I go back to sleep. <laughs> and I'm driving out from our driveway in my car, and by the mercy of God, my headlights hit my daughter's window as I'm going past, and I see her little face. Now, mind you, I'm late. she woke me up at five, I'm leaving at like 6.30. And I'm, I turn back around trying to be like the, you know, this is like my superhero dad. I'm like, oh, okay. and I'm like, I, I'm not gonna pretend. I'm gonna pretend like I did not forget that my daughter has it. So I go in the room. I'm like, hey, Lucy. And she smiles real big and she runs up to me. And she says, here, dad, dad, this is for you. And she's got this little picture that she drew. She said, I love you, dad, dad. Like oh, that, you just melt, right? That's why daughters just own you from early age. Do whatever you want, Lucy. I love you. And as I'm driving away, I start thinking about this little girl and I'm like, how long was she awake? Like she woke me at 5 a.m. It's 6.30 and she's sitting out there looking out her window like, did she just wake up? Was she awake the whole time? Was she working on this drawing for an hour and a half? I have no idea. Here's what I do know. I forgot about her, but she did not forget about me. And then I start thinking about God. And I start thinking about this God who makes himself so readily available to us. I mean, if you think about it, you ever met a busy person and you're so honored when they give you a slot in their calendar? He's God. I don't know if there's anyone with higher prerogatives and a busier individual. And God says, hey, by the way, I cleared my calendar for you. Anytime you want to hang out, I'd love to talk. And we drive out of the neighborhood day in and day out. And he just keeps sitting there with this little picture at the window. Not that he's desperate, but he loves us. And he's available. And he's near and he's close and he's present. And I start thinking about my little baby girl and I'm like, man, Lucy, you just preached a sermon to me more profound than anything you will ever know. I, Lord, I repent. I remember like when The moral of the story, the hope for humanity, the good news for you and I, the gospel, is that you and I, when we were too distracted and busy, when we stopped, when we forgot to look for him, he came searching for us. He leaves the 99 to find the one and says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus says, I am available. We need him daily. We need him weekly. We must make room for him. But while we got distracted in our busyness, he came down and gave his life for us. And this week, this moment, this time of prayer and fasting is a time where we are allowing ourselves additional room to remember. You don't have to work for love and affirmation. You already have it. You don't have to work for significance. He already gave it to you. You don't have to work to be seen, to be valued, to be unconditionally loved and accepted. He's already said you're enough. Will we make room to seek him and find him? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're amazing, and my prayer for our church family is that we would reject the unsustainable rhythms of our culture and embrace at least two of these rhythms that you've laid out, that we would make room for you daily in prayer, in your word, that we would make room for you weekly in a day of Sabbath rest and rejuvenation, a time for God, a time for family, a time to be grateful for the life you've given us. Lord, right now, would you move on our hearts? Would you remind us of your nearness, of your goodness, of your love?